Amen. Good morning. The rain got you down a little bit this morning? Or do you like it? Good. Who likes rain? Okay. Okay. When you sleep. And that's why some of your peers are not here. Because <laughs> they also like rain when they're still sleeping. Just kidding. Everybody doing okay? Am I a little echoey back there or is that just the monitor? <laughs> Melina's like, I don't know how to change that. Don't look at me. Okay, never mind. I'll just be echoey. Hey, let's jump right into it. We got a lot of ground to cover. You guys know that we are in our relationship uh, series for the year. We like to uh, make a pass through relationships uh, about once a year. Now am I gone? Hello. There, okay. Just keep talking. Okay. Um, and so that's where we are. And we are three weeks in. This is week number three. And we'll only do relationships for four weeks. So uh, next week will be our last segment in our relationship series. We talked about the first week. We talked about uh, why relationships are important. Uh, what did, God created us to be relational. Why are they important? Uh, we also talked about what does a relationship uh, relationship look like um, between in the family of Christ. So what does it look like as covenant brothers and sisters? What does that relationship look like? And it's marked by the word sacrifice, right? We uh, love each other as Christ has loved us, and that love is marked by sacrifice. So a community of faith, we ought to be known uh, in terms of our relationships to one another, we ought to be known uh, with this marker of sacrifice. That ought to be the way that we live. We pour ourselves out for one another. Uh, this, is a, this is very different than what we see uh, in our culture. This is not our nature. Our nature is selfishness in sin, but in the rescue of sin with a new nature on, in holiness and righteousness as we serve Christ, we serve one another. Then last week we talked uh, about, do you remember last week? We talked about parents and children. You guys, was that okay? Is that good information? We talked about, no? Okay, we'll just throw that one out. Um, we talked about relational blessing um, and the way that God intended for uh, blessing to move from one generation to the other, the why he created family. Um, and then we also talked bigger picture um, that uh, is speaking of generations and how, how does that apply? How does that parent-child relationship apply to you even now as you seek to invest in the next generation? And I want to tell you, I was really excited. So on staff meeting, uh, in our staff meeting on Tuesday morning, uh, Matt... Uh, report who's our youth pastor Matt Murray uh, reported just overwhelming numbers of people that responded just on the text portion uh, to commit to pray for our youth as they uh, as they head into their D now uh, next weekend so uh, that was that was incredible um, and I want to thank you I, I feel like you were a huge part of that so thank you for signing up thank you for your commitment to continue to pray for them um, and uh, if you there's there's information in the foyer if you want to uh, sign up uh, if you haven't had a chance to do that. So that was last week. Uh, in any of these you want to go back on, if you've missed, you can look on our website, fhrevive.com, and you can find our, um, uh, what do you call it, Fancy, uh, podcast. You can find that. Um, so this week is, uh, we're going to talk about marriage. And again, I want to just invite you uh, to participate in a wedding. Um, so this weekend, uh, this Saturday at 3 o'clock, am I saying that right? 3 o'clock, okay. Uh, 3 o'clock, John and Melina, I better be saying it right. I'm going to be there. Um, 
and I'm going to have something to do with it. So uh, at 3 o'clock, uh, they're getting married, and they want you to, uh, to come and be part of that. Uh, okay, it's okay. And where's John and Melina? Where are you? Well, we'll show up when we want to then. That's what, what time? What time? I'm saying it wrong. 3 o'clock, right? Saturday? 3 o'clock. Okay, that's what I said, and I was really confident. People started looking at me funny. Okay, 3 o'clock, Saturday is the wedding. They wanted to invite you um, as, a, as a picture just for you to participate. It's going to be a lot of fun, but you, for you to participate uh, in what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. So uh, it's going to be right here, just down the hall in our worship center. Um, so come at 3 o'clock and celebrate uh, Melina and John. Okay, so today we are going to talk about uh, marriage and we're going to talk about why God created marriage. Uh, we're going to move quickly. There's a lot of, there's a lot of information here. So uh, again, for you note takers, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go pretty quick at the beginning. So if you want to take uh, references down, hopefully I will, uh, I will give all of those that you need. So go ahead and go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to talk about why in the world is marriage important. What is it? I want you to start thinking in terms, uh, our culture has defined marriage all sorts of ways. Uh, what, the word that I want you to think of uh, when you hear the word marriage, I want you to think of this word covenant. Everybody say covenant. 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 Marriage is a covenant. Um, it, is a, uh, it is a covenant, which means it is a, uh, it is a promise. It is between uh, human beings. It is the most uh, intense uh, promise that can be made. It's the most intense uh, covenant that can be made. Um, and God designed it as a picture of the gospel. So we're going to talk about, and I'll, I'll say this a lot, we're going to talk about the covenant of marriage. It's really important that we see marriage in that way and not just as the choice of marriage or the option of marriage or the human commitment of marriage. Marriage is a, is a thing designed by God. It's an institution designed by God to be a covenant for the purpose of the display of the gospel. Okay? So it has, to be, it has to be a vital thing for us believers. And we can't get sideways about how it gets defined outside of the church. We have to be committed to the picture of marriage as God has designed it. Okay? That means that we need to know what is it supposed to be. It needs to be important to us. I think sometimes we get so consumed arguing with, with others about what it's supposed to be that we forget how sacred it ought to be to us. And so we need to, be, to understand what marriage is um, within the church because God designed it as a vehicle for the gospel. Okay, you good with that? So here we go. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 22. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Do you see this? Wonderful mutual relationship of honor and stirring one another to the Lord. Verse 28. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, sorry, nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That sounds like marriage, doesn't it? He's speaking of marriage. Look at verse 32. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and what? The church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So what he's doing here is he's giving specific instruction for the earthly relationship between husbands and wives. And he says that it is for the purpose of what? The display of the gospel, because this is a mystery. This is a profound mystery. And what I'm saying here is actually about Christ and the church. Do you see how every time he gives a husband or a wife a command, he says, because this is how Christ loves the church, or this is how how the church submits to Christ. He's drawing this parallel that marriage is the picture of this covenant relationship that Christ has formed with the church. It is a display of the gospel. In the, in the Gospels, in, uh, all throughout the Gospels, but specifically, and this is where I'll just move quickly. In Matthew chapter 9, there's question, his, the disciples are asking a question about fasting. And Jesus is explaining why his disciples aren't fasting. And Jesus says, you don't need to fast. They're not fasting now because the bridegroom is with them. Jesus points to himself and refers to himself as the bridegroom. This isn't something that Paul came up with. This is language that Jesus, uh, that originated with Jesus, speaking of this covenant that he was going to make with his people that God had already made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus is coming and, and saying, I'm going to bring a new covenant. It's his covenant with my bride. And he says, I'm the bridegroom. In John chapter 3, he speaks of the same thing. In Revelation 19, we read that there is a what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, who's the Lamb? Jesus. It's this picture in the book of Revelation. If you look in chapter 19, you'll see the picture. It's, it may be up on the screen, but it's a, it is. Uh, it's, a, it's a picture of the, of the wedding, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And who's there? Who's present? The who? The saints. Us. It's this joining together of Christ and His church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I'll I'll read this to you. Do we have that for the screen, Anthony? I think so. Is it behind me? Somebody say amen if it is. (laughs) Just getting y'all involved. Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2. What is Paul urging them to do? For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. What is he talking about? He's talking about his ministry. What is he wanting? He's wanting for the church to be pure and holy and blameless before who? Christ. And what is, he, what is the analogy that he's speaking from? Marriage. Right? He's speaking from marriage, this presentation of a pure bride to her bridegroom. And he says that this is his desire for the church. So the idea, the concept of Christ in the church, of marriage, is all throughout the scripture, and it's always in reference to Christ in the church. It's always in the refer- in reference to the gospel. And so then we enter into this human relationship of marriage as a picture of the gospel. So does it matter? It absolutely matters. 
our relationships with our spouses, the covenant that we enter into before God and before our brothers and sisters matters before God because it's intended to be a picture of how Christ loved the church. Do you know, husbands, that it matters how you love your wife because it's a picture of how Christ loves the church? That's the command. And wives... The command is to submit to your husbands. And we see this, our culture sees this in such an oppressive way, but it's a picture of how the church submits to Christ. Is our relationship with Christ oppressive? Why? Because he loves us. Submission is natural in this relationship. To be led is not an oppressive thing. It's freedom because in fullness of love, we're free to be who God has created us to be. And this is supposed to be the picture of, of, uh, of, the, of what... Um, sorry, I'm losing my words this morning. It's a picture of Christ in the church and we are to uh, be displays of that in our relationships in marriage. Okay, so I want to go to Genesis 15. I want to show you where this covenant began. Genesis 15, I'm going to, uh, for time's sake, I'm going to move through this part as a summary, but I want to just give you what I'm summarizing. So I'm going to talk about what's in Genesis 15, verse 1 through 21. It'll be on the screen. Actually, pull it off the screen, Anthony, because they're just going to read. <laughs> I see y'all just want to read the screen. Y'all always get ahead. All right. This is the covenant that God makes with Abraham. I want to describe it to you a little bit because what we, what we see here is God making a covenant with Abraham. He's making promises to Abraham, and he's, and he's making these promises, and he's sealing them with this thing called covenant, saying, I'm going to do this, you're going to do this, and the way that, for us, how do we, how do we uh, well, maybe this is a little old school, but how, how do we agree on something? We what? We shake hands, don't we? Right? That's, a, that's a greeting, but it's also an agreement. We make a deal, we shake, we shake hands. This is a form of covenant, okay? Uh, we sign our name. Now it's legal documents and all sorts of things, and you sign your name. That's a form of covenant. So what God is doing is God is presenting himself to Abraham, saying, these are the things that I'm going to do on your behalf to show who I am, and this is what I'm calling you to do. This is what I'm going to do on your behalf, and we're going to agree on this in this thing called covenant. So what God asks Abraham to do is make this covenant ready, and what this, this was a blood covenant, and it was the most serious type of covenant that could be made. Why blood? Blood is representative of what? It's our life. To make a blood covenant is to agree with our lives to this other person. It's to say that, that if I go bad on this agreement, it will cost me my life. It's that serious of an agreement. And so what God does is he commands Abraham to prepare this blood covenant. And the way that it would work is that Abraham would prepare sacrifices. And those sacrifices would be split in two. So all of these animals that were big enough to be split in two, it's gruesome, but it's blood covenant, would be split in two. And the blood of the sacrifices would be, uh, uh, would make an aisle way. Okay? So the sacrifices would be on either side, split in two, with the blood of these sacrifices as the aisle way. And what would happen is that the two parties, in order to agree, would together walk through this blood aisle way back and forth. Their feet would be covered in the blood of the sacrifices, and it would be saying, essentially walking through, saying, may it be done to me if I don't keep my promises. Split in two. <laughs> okay? 
This is an incredibly serious form of covenant. So this is what God says. God tells Abraham to do this, to prepare this covenant. Because I'm going to make promises to you. I'm going to bless you. And, and we're, going to, we're going to seal the deal in this covenant. So Abraham does it. He makes, he makes ready this covenant. He gets ready. He, he does, prepares the sacrifices. And he's waiting on God for this moment where they're going to walk through together. Now, can you imagine the anticipation of that moment? Where the God of the heavens and the earth has promised you things that you cannot even imagine. And you're waiting on him with the IOA prepared to walk through with the presence of God to walk through these sacrifices. And the time comes for them to walk through. And the scripture tells us that a deep sleep falls on Abraham. You ever fallen asleep at the wrong time? (laughs) That was the wrong time. I'm kidding. It wasn't laziness. God... Uh, God makes Abraham go to sleep. And the scripture tells us that the presence of God is this really, we don't have time to study it today, but if you go, go back and read it, it's this incredible picture of the Trinity of God himself walking through the covenant by himself. Now, why would God do that? Abraham's fast asleep. He's gone. And all of these promises that God has made between God and Abraham, they're supposed to walk two to, through together. Why? Because what does the covenant say? If you do your part and I do my part, this thing works. And God begins this covenant relationship by saying, you don't have a part, lay down. And God walks through this covenant alone. He seals and binds all of the promises that he has made, not to Abraham's performance, but to God himself. Thereby saying... That the promises that I'm making are held in my ability to keep them in mine alone. This has nothing to do with you and your performance. You just get to be in it. As a byproduct of relationship with me, making covenant with me, you receive my promises because I'm God and I will keep my promises. The only relationship that you get to play is to receive the blessing of being in relationship with me. You have to be in relationship with me, but you get to receive the blessing of it. Abraham wakes to find that he's been made a partaker in a pretty good deal, hadn't he? This is the blood covenant. And this is a foreshadowing, this is a picture of what God would do in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us that we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. What does it say? Not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of of Christ. That's where our redemption has been paid. I want you to think about the cross. The cross is the place where that covenant, that new covenant was made. Jesus promises this covenant. We're going to go here in a minute. So if you want to go ahead and go to Luke chapter 22, go there. I'm going to give you a second and I'm going to give you some lead into it. Go to Luke 22. And I think this is so cool. I didn't realize this was going to land this way, but it is. <laughs> and, uh, and we're going to actually take communion together in the next hour, and we're going to talk about it here this morning. This is going to be really cool. So I want you to think about God making that promise with Abraham. If you're in Luke 22, just now hold your spot, okay? God made that covenant alone, right? I want you to think about what we've been redeemed by the what the blood of jesus right where was that blood shed on the cross we sing about it we know that the the blood of jesus was shed 
on Calvary, I want you to begin to get a picture of that being the place where this covenant, this new covenant that Jesus would speak about, that's going to be the place where it's bound. Now let's go to Luke 22. Okay? In Luke 22, he is having the last supper with his disciples. Now, the last supper is the celebration of Passover. If we know anything about the Old Testament, we know that the Passover was a yearly celebration marking what? Does anybody know what the Passover is talking about? What are they remembering in the Passover? Rescue from Egypt. What happened in Egypt? They were slaves. The rescue from Egypt is a beautiful picture of our salvation. They were slaves in Egypt. God said, I hear the cry of my people. And he sent a redeemer, right? He sent a redeemer. And by the blood of the lamb, when he said, you'll sacrifice the lamb and and death will move over all of Egypt. But if you're covered by the blood of the lamb, if your home is covered, you will be spared. And in that covering, you'll be freed from slavery and rescued into being my covenant people in a place of freedom and enjoyment in the land that I have promised you. Sound like salvation? to you yeah it's exactly what it is and so by the blood of the lamb they're rescued and god said remember remember this every year he instituted this meal called passover this celebration this feast called passover jesus is having this feast the study of passover is fascinating by how jesus uh, fulfilled the passover as the lamb that was sacrificed and slain on our behalf we'll talk about that probably another day but this covenant that he makes is in, is in his blood. And listen to what he's talking about as, they, as they're having Passover. So go to 14. I don't think that's on the screen. But go to 14 of chapter 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread. This would have been unleavened bread. You'll see it today as you take communion. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the what? Now, here's some language we need to pay attention to. Is the new covenant in what? In my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays uh, betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes, it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So, listen to what he says about the cup. I want to read that again. And then we're going to talk about the cup. Likewise the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is something that the disciples would have recognized in a couple of ways in in their culture. This is something that we need to see. The first way is that this was this was a cup of promise. This is a cup of redemption in the Passover meal. There's four different cups that are taken of in the Passover meal. This one came after the breaking of bread and was the cup of redemption. And he's saying that this is the covenant cup in my blood, right? They also would have recognized this in the context of, guess what? Marriage. 
The other place where a covenant was sealed by the drinking of a cup was in the context of marriage. So you've got marriage and you've got Passover. Isn't that amazing that those two things, salvation and redemption and marriage covenant, are both uh, celebrated uh, in the same way. And what would happen is that uh, a man would come before the husband, I'm sorry, the father uh, of his potential bride, of his would-be bride, and he would make a deal. He would pay a ransom, a price for her, and he would propose marriage. And there would be a cup, a covenant cup of promise poured between the two of them. And if the father agreed to that deal, then they would both drink of the cup, signifying the promise of marriage. And then the, the, uh, the suit would-be groom would go and he would, this is crazy language, but he would go and prepare a place for her under the watch of his father. Sound familiar? Jesus says, don't worry, I'll come again. I'm preparing a place for you. And he would do so under the watch of his father, at which point it was ready. His father would send him. And the father was the one that had to determine whether it was ready or not because the wedding couldn't happen until the place was ready. And if it was up to the son to determine when it was ready, he'd go throw up a tent and come back, wouldn't he? Yeah, amen. (laughs) But the father wanted a, a perfect place for that marriage to take place. And he would send the son back and the bride would have been waiting. She would have gathered her wedding party, would have been waiting and watching every day, waiting and watching for the return of her groom. At which point the groom returns, the best man would come first and shout and blow a trumpet and announce the arrival of the groom. And then the wedding party would assemble. It was just, it happened in, what's the language? In the twinkling of an eye, like fast, <laughs> All of a sudden, without notice, like a thief in the night, he would come for her and take her away and the marriage supper would begin. The feast, the festival would begin. Jesus is having this Passover covenant cup with his disciples and he says, a new covenant I'm making with you and this covenant is in my Blood. Now I want you to think about the place where Jesus would moments after this suffer. Think about Calvary. You've got all, you've, you're tracking all these details. We've been in a lot of places. You guys got all the details in your brain? Okay. So then Jesus would be led to Calvary. And he would be put on a cross. And how many people were, were with him on that cross? Don't, not, not next to him, but how many were with him on that cross? No one. And as he looked around, his own people were the ones shouting for his murder. The ones who he came to save had betrayed him, were gone. And at the point of the most excruciating point of this whole thing, even God would turn his back on Jesus. Jesus suffered and died completely and totally alone, covered in his own blood of the covenant. Make any sense? Bring any picture? Who walked through the covenant with Abraham? God did. And where did he do it? He did it absolutely and completely alone, covered in the blood of the sacrifice. And it's on this place on Calvary where Jesus would suffer and die and make covenant with us, our groom for his bride, make covenant with us Forever. Why forever? Because he's the only one that walked through. 
He suffered and died alone on your behalf. But that promise means that there's nothing that you have to do to keep that covenant. It's not based on your performance. It's based on your ability to receive the blessing. It's called grace. Will you receive and walk in the promise that God has given us? Jesus said, I have come to give you life. And life is the overflow of that covenant blessing that we get to receive. He made it alone by himself with his own blood and asks you and I to enter into it. And it's a covenant made in his blood. It's a covenant of marriage. Why are we talking about this when we talk about marriage? Because this is the picture of Christ in the church. This is the type of covenant that we enter into when we say, I do at a wedding. Listen to me. The stakes are high in marriage. It's an incredible opportunity for the work and the power of God to be made manifest in all areas of our life, to display the gospel. When a man and a woman come together and uh, and are married, it is the picture of the sacrificial pouring out love of Christ for His church. And the response of a church who is loved so fully and completely that they flourish, flourish and thrive in submission to their groom. It is a perfect picture of Christ and the church. Marriage is not a 50-50 partnership. Neither is a blood covenant. If we believe for a moment, and that's what our culture would have us believe, that marriage is a 50-50 partnership. Your performance plus your spouse's performance, they have to be equaled, and if those two things are equal, then it's okay. Who's been married, right? We... Listen, is it ever 50-50? What a joke. (laughs) It's never 50-50. There's days where I wake up, and you know what I'm going to put into the covenant? Because I'm weak. Maybe I'm going to give 10%. Maybe that's all I got today. Not because I'm lazy, but because I'm a man. (laughs) And sometimes I fail. And what if my wife's end of the covenant was based on my ability to come to that 50%? What if she said, sorry about you, the other 40 that you can't carry, you're going to have to figure out somehow because I'm only carrying 50. I want to tell you on those days, with the power of the Spirit of God working in her, she carries 90 when I carry 10. Because covenant is not based on a 50-50 partnership. Neither is our covenant in Christ. Look, you came to the table with nothing. He's carrying it all. What makes us think marriage is going to be different? You with me? Marriage is not a 50-50 partnership, but the great thing that I get to tell every couple, and I'll say it every time, and if I get to do your wedding, don't tell me not to say it because I'm saying it. It's canned, and I say it every time, but I love it. It was said to Lindsay and I when we were married, and I'll say it in every wedding that I do, but if you will base your marriage in Christ, if he'll be the center, if that marriage will be the display of Christ's covenant love for us, then the day that you get married will be the day that you love each other the least. I love saying that. That's the best news a married couple can hear. Because the the, the trend in our culture is that the wedding day is the most exciting, happy day, right? Right? 
That's the party, man. That's where it's at its peak. And then honeymoon, how could it get better than the honeymoon? Right? I'd say more. I don't want to embarrass you. But we think that is the climax of marriage. (laughs) And then life happens and hits and things kind of just... Right? But does our God decrease ever? Does Does He ever have a day off where He loves us less? Does our performance ever determine His care for us, His love for us? No. And so if we'll base our marriage in Christ, if He will be the the substance of our marriage, if we'll love each other by the power of the Spirit of God working in us, which is the design, if we'll give ourselves for one another, if we'll love each other, respect each other, build each other up, allow each other to flourish, then every day, and it doesn't matter if hardship comes, because all the married people said, Amen. Does hardship come? Absolutely. There will be a day where you look at your finances and you go, I don't know how going to work. There will be a day where you look at your kids and you go, I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> there will be a day where you look at the issue that's sitting in between the two of you and you'll go, I don't know how that's going to work. Those days will come. But those days are an opportunity for an increase in love. Right? Because it's based in a covenant. Because it's based in sacrifice. Because it's based in the person of Christ. Working in our midst. So marriage and the wedding will be the day that you can love each other the least. Now let me just tell you. The marriage between a man and a woman uh, on the earth is just a picture. It's an imperfect picture being perfected by the person of Jesus in your midst. Marriage is hard. You've heard that probably before. Marriage is hard. There are difficult days. But there is no more profound, I don't think, experience of the sacrifice and the forgiveness and the grace that comes in Christ Jesus than experiencing that as you give those things to one another. Not only is it a picture on the outside to the world of the covenant love of Christ, but it's a picture to each other of the covenant love of Christ. I I can speak for only me and my experience, and maybe others could share as well. But there have been multiple times where the most significant Uh, testimony to me of the forgiveness of God has come through the forgiveness of my wife. Where the most profound display of the grace of Christ has come as I've experienced grace from my wife. And I pray that she has received the same. You have to ask her, but not now because I don't want to be embarrassed. But we get a profound experience of the inner workings of the covenant of God within the context of marriage. I want to tell you, look, I can't speak for culture and I can't tell culture what to do. But I want to tell you right now that as the body of Christ, we need to hold dear this thing that God has done in marriage. It needs to be vital to us. It needs to be important to us. It needs to be, I think the word sacred is appropriate. 
It needs to be sacred to us. We don't need to get worried so much uh, about what is happening outside our walls as we do to understand the sacredness of what God has given us. Because without Christ, we can experience a, a marriage in a way, but with Him, we can experience it to the full extent to which it was designed, which is to be that display of the glory of God in the covenant and the gospel. And for that reason, it needs to be sacred and dear to us. Your preparation for it in these days needs to be sacred and dear to you. Because someday, maybe, that is going to be a covenant that you step into. And it's just a covenant with another person. But the binding of that covenant is the Spirit of God. And if He rests in the midst of it, it's a display of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us and to one another. For that reason, it's infinitely valuable to us. Is that all right? You guys feel like you have a good picture of marriage. It's a sincere question. Okay, are we okay? All right. All right. Next week, um, next week's going to be a little bit unique. Uh, I want to tell you that we're going to tackle the... uh, the discussion on homosexuality, gender issues. These, this, is the, I, I, the, this is the umbrella of the discussion that we're going to be speaking about. It is going to be, I don't do this super often, where take a specific issue that our, that our culture is dealing with and, and address it here uh, directly. But I think that, it, that in this case it's very appropriate considering the relationship series that we're in and considering the questions that our culture is asking and that our church is asking. Uh, but I said this last week, and I, and I want to—I sincerely want you to hear uh, that if that's you in the room, if, if you struggle in that area, if you're, if you're having questions in that area, next week's not a week to avoid. Okay, this isn't. This is not going to be a time where we got to stand up and point you out and kick you out. It's not going to happen. What we want to do is we want to have this conversation through the lens of the grace and the mercy of Christ Jesus that has saved and redeemed us all. What does God say? What does God want for us? And how do we experience that? If we're not, even, if we're not currently experiencing it, how do, we, how do we reconcile that in our lives? This is going to be a conversation full of grace. Uh, it'll be a little bit unique the way in which we're going to have the conversation. I'm not going to give you those details yet, but it'll be a little bit unique. But I also want to tell you that if you have, uh, if you have friends, maybe even friends that have never been in the church, uh, and I've heard this story a thousand times, uh, it, it, just in our community, that, that, and you have met on campus or in your workplace or wherever, that that may be the very thing that they're questioning and struggling, and they'll never step foot in here because they've already determined what the church says about that and those people. What an awful commentary about the reception that they ought to get when they walk into the walls of the church. So I want to tell you that this would be a wonderfully appropriate place for you to bring any friend, any time, any time, okay? This conversation will be filled with love and grace. We will seek to honor every single person in this room. We'll do it by telling the truth with the grace of God, right? Is that fair? Can we do that? We ought to do that all the time, right? Um, But I want to especially speak of that uh, as we enter into the conversation next week. So that'll be next week. It'll be a little bit unique. Um, So so come uh, and be ready for that. Are we good to go? Let's pray. God, thank you for marriage. Thank you for what you've established in this covenant.
God, thank you that it's just a picture of a brilliant covenant that you have made with us, one that we were not worthy to enter into, but that you, by yourself, paid for and invited us into by your grace. So God, we're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful you for the grace that has come and allowed us to enter into this covenant that has been made by your blood. We thank you that you are the maker and the keeper of this covenant. God, we pray for marriage. We pray for marriage within the walls of our church. We pray that it would be a healthy display of the grace of Christ Jesus. And we pray for many who are in this room that that, that may be a thought, but that we would begin to even uh, prepare ourselves, not just for a, for a human institution, but that we prepare ourselves for our lives, whether in marriage or not, but for our lives to be a display of the covenant grace of God. So God, would you help us in that way? Would you guide us and lead us? And God, we pray for next week. Uh, and we just pray uh, that your spirit would bring grace and truth. And that where there are places of hurt and hardship, that you would bring healing and hope. That you would bring unity and grace and peace as we enter into a topic uh, that has sought to divide us. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed. I'll see you. Well, hopefully I'll see you at three on Saturday. I'll be there. See you.